Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. Okay, Silicon Valley Bank has been making a lot of headlines over the last couple days, and especially yesterday, when essentially the bank got taken over by the feds. It's a complicated scenario how a bank can run out of money, but there are some basic ways I can base try to describe it. First of all, this bank is mainly a bank for tech startup companies out in Silicon Valley, and so not a very diverse amount of companies that they work with. Um, they raise a lot of money, these companies do, from venture capitalists, big investors. They pour a lot of money into these companies. These companies have to keep it somewhere. They keep it in a bank. And that's how they make their payroll services, all that sort of stuff. That's how they pay people. It's how they invest in things. And as a lot of people are investing in tech companies, there's a lot of money in the bank for them, right? That, that makes sense. The banks then have to do something with that money, right? Banks roughly invest that money to make more money, right? And then they're able to cover the, the expenses of running the bank and the return of the bank. So anyways, when things are going good in the tech industry, everything's fine. A lot of money is flowing into the banks. The tech companies don't have to draw a ton out. And the money is being invested in these long-term treasury yields, which didn't make a ton of money for a long time, but they made a little bit over 10, 30, 20, 30 years or something like that. Well, the flip, as we all know, and if you listen to Your Money Matters, we talk about it a lot, really changed going from 2021 to 2022, right? NASDAQ, a lot of these companies struggling, uh, and all of a sudden these venture capitalists aren't putting a ton of money into the bank, and all of a sudden these companies need to start making payroll. There's less and less money in the bank. They're taking money out. Not enough money is getting put in. The investments that the bank made are kind of locked in for a long time at a low yield, and they are trying to sell it for less than it's worth to try and make up the difference. And eventually you get a point where someone catches wind of it. There's a report and there's a run on the bank. And that's where we get to like, it's a wonderful life situation, right? That is a very broad strokes, basic interpretation. I hope that made sense a little bit about economically how it happens. Bob Lawless is a professor down at the University of Illinois. And uh, professor, we really appreciate you coming on with us today. Did I, did I do an okay job explaining the basics of that? I think you did a fantastic job. I think that's exactly right. Um, as you referenced, it's a wonderful life, right? The line in that movie is you think of the bank as having the money in the bank, back of the room, back of the uh, bank. That's not true. They lend it out. Right. And when they lend it out, and so let's go through some basics. This may seem elementary to you, of course, as well as a college professor, but you know, this is something I need to think through our listeners do. So who do they? Who does a bank lend our money to? What are they looking to do with it? Are they just trying to make profits, cover the cost of the bank, a little bit of both? Well, uh, yes, right. They're trying to make a, make a profit. A, a bank is a, a for profit enterprise. Uh, who do they make loans to? They make uh, depends on upon the bank. They may make loan, commercial loans to big businesses, small businesses. They may make home loans. They may make car loans. They may they make uh, all sorts of loans. And of course, they make their money by collecting interest on those loans. And hopefully they're paying less to the way they make a profit is by paying less interest on their inventory, which is the money they have in the bank. What are the guardrails to make sure that they have money or that they are set up to be okay? Are there, I know things have changed a lot since the great depression when people literally ran the monies out of, out of the bank and never got any of it again. Yes. Uh, so before the, the Great Depression, um, people who had money at the in the bank were at risk of losing it if they um, uh, if the bank went uh, became insolvent. Uh, and 
of course, that's you know, a bad thing. We want people to have confidence in the banks. So the FDIC uh, was created to in, be a backstop, to be an insurer that the, if the bank becomes insolvent, that your deposit is insured in the bank. And so the FDIC, of course, doesn't want to pay out on that insurance. So what they do is they monitor the banks and make sure the banks stay solvent. And that's that's the guardrail. So the catch here with Silicon Valley Bank is uh, the FEI insurance is not unlimited. It's uh, the cap on it is $250,000. So as you were describing, if you're a, a Silicon Valley business, you don't have you have a lot more than $250,000 in the bank. So they have they have exposure. Okay, so for the average American, I would say the average of us who don't have $250,000 in a bank account or we've spread it out over multiple accounts, if we were at Silicon Valley Bank or let's just extrapolate this to any bank, the FDIC, most of us listening right now, has our back, yeah? And the FDIC absolutely has, has our back. And, and you, as you pointed out, it's $250,000 per bank. So if you spread your deposits out across multiple banks, you can be insured for more than $250,000. Since the FDIC was created in the 1930s, uh, there's not been a single penny that a depositor has lost in an insured account. Wow, that's huge. Okay, but what about these companies that have over 250000 Are they out of luck, or will the FDIC, now that they've taken over this bank, try and, I don't know, what, sell the bank to another bank to take over those liabilities, still collect on loans, and then slowly pay out people over time? Because what they're saying right now is if, if you're under that $250,000 amount, give them till Monday, and they'll be able to get the money for you. For those over $250,000, what does that picture look like for these companies? It seems a little more murky. I think that's exactly right. I think it's too early to say uh, exactly what that's going to look like. Their FDIC will, as the fancy term is, they'll have a resolution of the, of the bank, which is essentially a, a, a type of bankruptcy, if you will. It's, a, the, it's not run in the courts. The FDIC takes care of it. And just as you were explaining, they will try to sell the bank's assets, an asset to the, uh, the banks or the loans that the banks have made. And They'll sell those assets to, to um, somebody else who uh, then the FDIC will have that money and use that money to uh, try to reimburse uh, the people who are over the 250000 to the greatest extent possible. But uh, if there's not enough to go around, then there's, there's uh, those companies with a lot of money in SVB, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, are going to take a haircut. Yeah, I don't uh, take a loss. Yeah, I, I don't recommend anyone spend all day on Twitter, but sometimes that's what I do. And there's been a lot of discourse about people who at one point were libertarian, get the government out saying, well, the government really needs to step in here and bail the bank out. Is the FDIC, this is maybe a complicated question, mm-hmm. does the full force and credit of the United States Treasury Department step in and help out in these situations or is the FDIC separate from it? I guess I'm, what I'm wondering is uh, how does, how do we, how are we really sure that this money is, is going to come in for those that are insured? I, it's kind of a complicated question because I know there's a, there's kind of a line between the FDIC and the overall United States government, right? That's, that's correct. The, the FDIC has its own insurance fund, which is separate from, um, the U.S. Treasury, and, and so the insurance fund is what uh, will would reimburse people um, uh, up to the amount of the insurance cap. You know, again, that insurance fund has never failed to pay. 
Uh, technically, it's not an obligation of the U.S. government. I think practically, and this came up a little bit in the in the Great Recession uh, in 2007, 2008, uh, where there was some concern that there could be a lot of banks that were going to become insolvent and the uh, insurance fund would be at risk. And at the time, I think it was likely that if that ha- eventuality had come to pass, and I should say it didn't even come close, but if it had, I think the U.S. government would have had to step in uh, just to keep faith in the in the banking system. I imagine most people here in Chicago and the Chicagoland area don't invest in Silicon Valley Bank and are okay, although maybe we do have some investors or folks that are involved in it, of course. But for those of us that look at something like this and go, oh my gosh, this is the start of what we saw happen in 2007, 2008. I'm not asking you to put on too much of an economic hat because I know that's not necessarily your realm, but I guess, is it safe to say that most banks are not set up like Silicon Valley Bank where they are primarily for... Uh, venture capitalists to put money in for startup companies and that other banks are more diversified in their clientele and how they invest their money and are probably a bit more protected. Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't think uh, Silicon Valley Bank is uh, an outlier uh, compared to you know many other banks. I, I saw some statistics this morning that were uh, showing that the percentage of uninsured uh, deposits that Silicon Valley Bank had, I think, was the second highest in the country for banks of its size. Um, and, and most banks, of course, you and I, you know, we're not going to go run to the bank to get our money out because we know the FDIC has our back. With the uh, bank run started at Silicon Valley Bank was because of the uninsured depositors, and they knew they had to get their money out, and there's not that many banks that are in that situation like Silicon Valley Bank. So I, I see what you're saying because yeah. they knew they had a liability out there and they were greatly exposed. That's what really caused a run. Not that people wouldn't run to the bank, but as long as you and I know, and we're, we're preaching this to everybody, if you have less than $250,000 in a bank, you are good. Yes. And, and again, right, the point is that Silicon Valley Bank had a high percentage of deposits that were not covered by the $250,000 guarantee because they were dealing with a lot of larger businesses, Silicon Valley businesses that were way over that number. And so those businesses, when they saw that Silicon Valley Bank might be having trouble, raced to get their money out. And that just becomes a, a... a self-reinforcing cycle. Not that it couldn't have a larger economic impact, especially locally in Silicon Valley. I mean, there's going to be companies that if they don't have access to their money or the money is gone, they can't make payroll. There might be furloughs. There might be layoffs. I'm not saying that there isn't an impact, but I guess locally here in Chicago, it doesn't quite reach its tentacles as far as here. I mean, that's likely right. I mean, we don't know where everybody does their banking. So, but I think that's likely right. And, and you're right. I and mean, there could be some economic fallout from this. Uh, but in terms of uh, kind of what we would call a contagion effect on other banks, I, I, I guess my view is the risk is pretty low right now. So, um, right, 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 right. You know, I mean, it, it, you could you could spin out scenarios where companies start having um, problems, and then that makes the bank that they're dealing with uh, unstable because they can't make their loan payments or whatever. But those become pretty fantastical. I I don't don't think we're anywhere near that. I was reading an article right before we came on the air. So if you don't have a comment on that, this is totally fine. I didn't uh, let you know. But I was reading an article about how a lot of these big banks have stress tests tests that the government puts on banks and that a lot of community banks don't have that. 
what would a stress test be? Is this like analytics that they plug in and they run different scenarios and see how a bank would hold up? Yeah, that's essentially right. And um, uh, the idea, you know, a lot of that, that was put in after the, the Great Recession. And, uh, you know, the idea was to um, the, the country's largest financial institutions, the regulators should have a good sense of where the uh, the risks are, which, which institutions they need to focus their biggest attention on. So, uh, those rules are primarily aimed at, at large banks, not not small banks. So that's why it's not you, you said it, as you said it's not really you know, local community banks that have those requirements. It's, it's costly, so right, we don't want to impose a bunch of costs on banks that um, we don't necessarily need, need that. Right? And, yeah, they have that priority for the information exactly. I had a good text from the three one two. Can you ask your guest why any entity would keep more than in the insured limit in a single bank? I don't need you to speculate on that, but I guess. It could be a matter of it's either a blind spot by the company that has a lot of money or that it's really inconvenient if you've got a billion dollars to spread $250,000 amongst thousands of banks, right? I mean, it just gets to the point where it's so much money. Exactly. It's that at some point there's just so much money you can't possibly um, uh, just just spread it around enough banks. Uh, If you have a lot of money but not – tons and tons of money. There are uh, companies, what are called deposit brokers, that will spread your money around different banks. But as you pointed out, I mean, when, at some point, the money just becomes so great that that's not practical. We had a caller, I'm not going to be able to get to the full call, but she wanted to know, under $250,000, is there like a notification or a warning that the bank will send if they're not headed in the right direction? Like, is there any way an average consumer might know what's happening behind the scenes at a bank? Are there reports that come out, like, or do we just have to kind of trust them? More the uh, more the latter. There's no uh, notifications or anything that, that go out, of course, uh, the, what's happened with Silicon Valley Bank is a good example of why those uh, reports are not public. Once rumors start swirling around a bank, that's when bank runs happen. It's uh, the, the banking works when we all trust the bank. If people start getting worried and start having, uh, you know, any rumor, there's a, there's a run to the bank, and uh, so uh, financial uh, uh, information about the uh, the. FDIC's financial testing and reports about the bank are generally not public information. Of course, banks that are publicly traded companies have financial statements available right. like any other publicly traded company, and you can look at those. And if you have the expertise to, to uh, look at the look at those and glean some information from it, you might get some. But the average everyday person, there's not much that uh, not much information about the banks. But again, the FDIC has your back for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Uh, in the you know now almost 100 years of the FDIC insurance fund, not a, a single depositor has lost uh, a penny on an insured deposit. That's a great way to wrap it on up. Yeah, they're not going to send you a push notification saying we might be in trouble. Uh, that wouldn't be yeah. good. <laughs> but and and again, yeah. if you're under 250,000, you're going to be you're going to be a okay. Bob Lawless, I really appreciate your time. I wish our Illini were still in the tournament and uh, you yes. would be watching it, but that's okay. I know a lot of uh, we're the Northwestern station. A lot of people are upset about Northwestern loss too, so we can all sympathize uh, with each other. Bob Lawless, we appreciate your time. We'll do it again soon. Okay. All right. Thank you for having me on.